everyone. Welcome to Everyman BJJ, a weekly show covering MMA and BJJ news and training tips. We're good. Yeah. Um, welcome. You're, you're ageless. What's up, Noah? What's up? Hello, hello. Ageless, man. Hey, man. What can I say? You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm living right. <laughs> wow. What is that? What's in that, Bert? You don't know? Cognac? Bourbon? Uh, Graham, well, Graham Monnier. Oh. Graham Monnier. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Because well, when we would be on the road, you after the after the <laughs> UFC shows be over, was that the go-to, the Graham Monnier? That was the go-to. Graham Monnier and I chased it down with a Heineken. That was that was oh, all yeah. the ambient and gold pill I needed to go to sleep. But that that's wow. yeah, that, that's I can't actually drink any other type of liquor. Any other type of liquor kind of knocks it out of me, man. You know, I'm looking at two different me's. I don't know which one I'm supposed. Which one is me? Oh, you're good. Just pick one. <laughs> I got you right there. Just pick one. Yeah, this. Yeah, I want to. Um... First of all, if people can't if people can't feel the excitement, you know, Burt Watson, you just change the energy in the room. When Burt Watson mm-hmm. walks in the room, it's just a different room. It's a different event. It's an event when you walk in the room. So you can see we have an energy on the podcast today that we've never had because right. you, know, just that, you bring it. You know, got, what? you know what? I've always believed that when you enter the room and you left the room, you're supposed to leave you in that room, okay? Mm, yeah. Uh, and, and, and I've always believed that because anytime, as you know very well, anytime you go in a room backstage in the dressing room, you take care of something, when you leave, you want to leave you in that room to watch what you just did, okay? Yeah. So no one else undoes it, if there is such a word. But uh, I've, I've always believed that, that, that when you leave a room, you leave your energy in that room. So that it, it stays there, and when you go back, you just walk right into it, baby. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking when when I was preparing for today's conversation, because uh, interview is too formal for old friends, right? For me to call this an yeah. interview is too formal for a man that I've that I've seen do his thing for for ten, eleven years, um, yes, and yes, admired yes, yes. and admired. The way that you and your team, Terry Wade, Rhett Butler, and the, and all the unsung heroes behind the scenes at the UFC, I just admired the way you guys made the trains run on time. So as I was preparing for today's conversation, normally I'll go improvisational. Today I was inspired, and I wrote out like thirty questions in like six wow. minutes. It took me. That's the quickest I ever think I've ever written. I'm like, I have. I'm just like, what are my questions for Burt Watson? It was like, boom, 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 boom. I looked up six, seven minutes later, I've got 30 questions. And one of the things I wrote was I wrote, there's only a couple things guaranteed in life, right? They say death, taxes. And I was thinking high energy when Bert Watson comes in the room. That's that's the thing I, I, I was like, damn, that's that's a guarantee. That's a guarantee. I, 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 I appreciate that. And, and that's always, that's always my, Always been my ultimate goal, you know, as 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 you know, uh, and, and and you know you got a you got a bit of energy with you, and and and, and you you also look look a little ageless, because I remember, but yeah. but I see you 
very often on social media and most of the time you're sweating. Okay. So that means you're doing you're doing something energetic or you're 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 conditioning, you're either running or you're working out, but the most time I see you, you're sweating. So obviously <laughs> that's why you that's why you're so skinny. <laughs> uh so Bert, for a lot of people, this is one thing I was wondering, my own curiosity. I'm I'm being honest, I'm I'm being selfish right now. I'm not even thinking about the viewer, the audience. I'm just thinking about peaking my own curiosity. And I, one thing I was wondering is, does Bert still have the voice? Does the does the voice still work? The voce? And and I'm and I'm and I'm hearing you and I'm like, damn, this man, this man's voice. Still works, and your voice. Because for yeah. people who don't know, for people who don't know behind the scenes UFC while you were there, you know yeah. that voice was the battle cry. That's that was the in all of the fight game. That was the ultimate battle cry. When you said, "Give us, can we get a little little taste?" A lot a lot of people might not know what I'm talking about. When the fighters make the walk. There is a particular it's, battle cry. They know it's coming. Oh, yeah. They know it's coming. Oh, yeah. Just being backstage, baby. You should be able to hear me before you see me, baby. You always know that you've got 5 out to go, baby. There's a dirty 30 before we roll in that hole. And, oh, baby, when I'm walking up and down that hall, I'm walking up and down that hall, you know it's time to go to work. Time to go to work. And you know what that means when it's time to go to work. We roll that 10 11 times a night that's not a one-off it's the same intensity yes sir yes sir and you can see i still got it you can you, see you, i still, you, I still you, got it now bert this is one thing i was wondering because you're a man of many talents the thing i was wondering is have you ever been approached or have you been on anybody's albums were you even in your heyday i'm talking 30 40 years younger you have i i done a lot of singing you have a very good voice. If I had heard your voice 40, 50 years ago, I would have been like, damn, I want that voice. I want to sing with that voice. I want that voice on my album. Have you been approached? Have you ever cut any records? Have you ever done any singing? Uh, I, I, I've, had, I've been approached once to do the, when, 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 when we roll and really hit a sweet spot, you know, and everybody got to recognize it. There was a group. Uh, and, and the record 595 that put out uh, some kind of a rap clip of, of, of me. And it was my voice, we wrote. And that was the first time and only time. There was a couple of times that I've, I've done it for uh, uh, some walkouts with the background and they would, they would put we rolling and then their walkout song under it. But other than that, no, no, but but I, I I've always been amazed selfishly inside that you know a lot of times I would always say, man, one day I'm gonna go to an event and that voice is not gonna be there. Okay, one day I'm gonna go down there to get it and it's not gonna come out of there. You know, but I just kind of. Uh, 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 I got that from, from I got that idea from a real raw place, you know, uh, and, and, and it was 
it was if I could kind of throw it together for you real quick. I I would uh constantly I'm perpetual motion up and down up and down up and down the hall up and down the hall and I'm not a a young man okay I I, I know how old I am but that perpetual motion in and out you know by the end of the night sometimes after after an event I'd go lay down and the next morning going to the airport my feet were this big from all that walking all up and down now. I'm from Philadelphia. Okay, that's the city, city of brotherly love, and the city of good singers and doo-wop. Okay, so I always knew that if you got on a in a basement or in a hollow place and you sang, you know, as we stroll along together, you know, you got a good sound and you got a loud sound. So. Yeah, I was always in the bowels of a building, in a hallway with a, with a lot of acapella. And I'm running in and out, you know, and one day I said, you know what? I'm not running down that hall no more. If they can hear me, they don't have to see me. So I just, instead of me going in and out of every dress room, I just went down the hall. Go! It's almost time to roll, baby. You got six hours to go. You got one hour. You know, just just that. And you know what? I didn't have to go in and out of that, but out in and out. Because I would say that my guys would take it in the room or they would hear. They would hear. And I said, oh, hell, this works. You know? So I would go to the top of the hall. And I would let it fly up and down the hall, up and down the hall. And then when it was time to go to work, Everybody knew that, and initially, Frank, I gave it to everybody. So there were times I did that we rolling maybe 20, 25 times a night, 24 times a night, because uh, I know you know the UFC, I think, I think the least amount of fights they ever had was maybe eight. You know, they had as many as. 14 or 15. So I made sure everybody got the same energy. Everybody got the same intensity. So I yeah. yelled that yeah. we rolling for everybody. Yeah. I've had it's guys. It's interesting because Bruce Buffer, who we both know and love, but Bruce yeah. modulates, Bruce modulates the announcements, right? He builds them as the and he starts off with a low voice for the first fight, the second fight's a little more, and he builds throughout yeah. the night kind of to a crescendo. Okay. You, like you said, different role, and you're just bringing it, you're giving them the same, whether you're the first fight or the or you're the main event, the, you're the getting the best the, the best battle cry you can, you can muster. And usually the last was the best because I knew it was my last for the night, and I knew I wasn't going to have to do it anymore. So I usually gave it, gave it. And I have guys, I swear, there were guys sometimes that I could walk up the hall and I could see them looking out. They're standing there waiting because they know they're next. But they're looking out here, looking out. I said, you don't have to look to hear me. You hear me. Don't, but don't come out of that dressing room before you hear me. Okay? Yeah. I always said that to everybody. Yeah. Right night is one voice. Yeah. One voice backstage. And that was purposely because I'm sure you know, you know, if, if you don't control 
that area backstage, guys yeah. are in and out of the room, commissions are in and out of the room, and at time we allowed you guys back there, the media was right. in and out of the room, and right. a lot of times they would go in and say things to a fighter. You catch a fighter fight night, and somebody, and I let someone in that dress room, then that someone automatically has the authority to go in there and tell them what to do. So I knew that I would leave that area. So I would tell them, tonight, all night, one voice. And if you don't hear me, you better come look for me because something's wrong, okay? Mm -hmm. But one voice, one loud, one command. Don't leave the dressing room for any other reason or any other voice but mine. Now, that, that weighed a lot on me, but you know what? It brought everything here, and it brought them here, and they did that. They didn't leave that dressing room. There was a bathroom in there. The food was in there. The corn yeah. guy was in there. There was no need for them. Yeah, Bert, just, just for context and perspective, a lot of people watching who, who aren't familiar with a lot of behind the scenes, it's very imperative that the trains run on time. So if you have people back there, you know, crowding things up, blocking things up, that can that can slow the flow of what you're trying to do. You're trying you got a clock, you got a clock, very precise. Precision's important. And so yes, for instance, in the pay-per-view business, which the UFC most of its money was made in pay-per-view, if they go over time, right, they have they leave wiggle now because they learned from UFC 33 when they went over and the pay-per-view went out and people demanded refunds. But it's very Randy important. Yes. It's very important in the pay-per-view business that the trains run on time. You only have it. You've only paid for a certain amount of time for that to be on pay-per-view. And when things go wrong, it messes with that clock. That can mess with the pay-per-view. That can mess with the money. That can mess with the customer demanding refunds, among other things. Yeah. You're thinking of, of many considerations behind the scenes, like you said, media getting back there, somebody who shouldn't be back there, something that shouldn't happen is happening. So like you said, the, the quality control, the, that rule is, is, is imperative for things to oh, flow. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me stay on, the, on your voice for a second, though, because it's amazing to me how a talent, a vocal talent like you, could fall between the cracks, get out of Philly, where music is, is, is so big, and it's amazing that you went unnoticed. Can you sing? I mean, in your mind, can you? Do you sit around? Do, does your wife tell you you can sing? Does family tell you you can sing? Do you well, like to sing? I'll tell you the honest goodness. I used to be able to sing much better than I can now because I've taken my voice to a raft, as you can hear, and 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 that has happened. Over time, when we roll, it's got it's gotten raspier, it's gotten edgier because of because you yes. used it so much with the yelling. Yeah, that's yes. created a rasp and kind of and kind of a ruggedness on the voice now. So you used to be able to hit higher notes. Oh yeah. Well, I I, I actually, as a as a, a middle schooler, I sang in the All Philadelphia Boys Choir, which is legendary choir. I sang and. I actually had a half lead in Ave. Uh, when I left there and I went to I went to college in Nebraska, uh, I sang uh, 
Temptation. Don't look back. I said that on a talent show. So I used to blow a little bit, you know, uh, and I, I, you know, but, but never took it seriously until I got into mixed martial arts or boxing with Joe Frazier. When I started with Joe, then I got to a point where I was taken because I used to work for a, uh, I went to school. I don't know if you can see my, I got on the wall back there. I got a little degree on the wall back there. I went to school for fashion design. All right. Pattern making, grading. That's what I initially, I initially went to school for. So I was in a, I was in the fashion industry. I was in a whole different kind of world. So when I met Joe Frazier and, and, you know, I'm going back to the early seventies. Uh, and I started to, you know, I met him in, in New York and transitioned to Philly, where I'm from in Philly, and I moved to Philly, and I started going in and out of the gym. Then my voice started to get a little louder because I started to yell a little more. I started to have to talk a little louder because when you're in a gym, these guys are in the ring and they're working out and the bell's ringing and the noise. They had to hear me. So my voice started to get a little loud, and, and the tone started to change a little bit. And I started using my voice a little more, and it became it, it became a, a, a good signature for me because I found out that it was kind of recognizable. They heard it because I could walk in the room in the gym, yo, and they knew it was me. You know. Yo, baby! From wherever I was, they knew that was me. And it worked. And well, you, that was your, your voice, your voice fits the fight game. You know, it might not fit other ecosystems. It might not fit corporate America, other than maybe for like a video promo or something like that. But it it is it it winds up being a perfect fit for the fight game. Oh no, no, no doubt, no doubt it works because it, it is, it, it's, it's so much of what we do, so much of, of, of mixed martial arts and combat sport is energy. Now this is, this is all personal. It's so much energy and, 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 and so much buildup that, that the guys have to anticipate and get to a certain level and, and, and carry that energy level all the way through. And I always knew that I had to carry that same kind of energy level all the way through. And I did it unconsciously. You know, it just, it, it just, it just happened. My mom was an intense person. My dad was, was low key, starch, dungarees, starch jeans, you know, sitting on the porch like this, quiet and low key. And my mom was up here, boy. And, and that's kind of where it came from, that energy level. You know, she said, if you can think it, you should do it. You know, if you don't think it's, it, it's don't do it. It's interesting because when I hear your voice backstage, it, it reminds me of what NL, what, what they call in sort of the mind space, right? The mental programming, Tony Robbins and other neuro-linguistic programming, right? NLP, they call it. And, and NLP, one of the parts of NLP is to have like a trigger, right? So that trigger 
you say the word red, whatever, right? And the brain automatically goes into a certain state of mind that it knows that it has to do X, Y, and Z. And if you're a fighter and you're backstage at UFC, you know, it's a very primal atmosphere. I actually think, Bert, that behind the scenes, as much as I love boxing and jujitsu and wrestling and cage fighting, my favorite moments at UFC were behind the scenes, the fight before the fight, the anticipation, the primalness, the primalness in the air, the thickness of the air, the tension in the air. And, and so when you would finally, all these emotions, right? You have this symphony of emotions that's stirring inside of a fighter when they know that it's getting closer to their time. And then when you hear Burt Watson say, you know, you're in the hole, we rolling. That is the almost like an NLP primal trigger of it's 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 like something switches in a lot of fighters' brains at the at that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 it works for everybody because once I said that it was time to go to work and I did one we rolling, everybody else knew. But I always had bow sheets in each room. I let everybody know the bow order so they knew when they had to go. So everybody knew when that guy in front of them left the room, they were next. That was the next thing. And and I, you know, I've given out a few lunch pails, you know, a few extra buckets, you know. Uh, uh, you, are you you're referring? You're referring to somebody. Have have you seen a fighter? I'm not trying to be you know grotesque, but you have you seen a fighter piss themselves? Have you seen that? Uh, or are you talking about vomiting? Vomiting or or all, what? all three? How's that? Wow! I I I I've seen and and I've I equated to nerves, but I also know that I had to generate that because they knew it was time, and and I knew one guy that I always gave an extra bucket to because I knew what he was going to do, and I know another guy that every time I go in the dress room. And I won't disrespect him by mentioning their name, but when I go in there, he has to go take a piss. Or when I go in there, I had to—I I knew I had to go to the bathroom because he was sitting on the toilet. All right, and I knew that, and I knew that when his guy when his guy went out, he had to go to the bathroom. And all three of them are big names, okay? Yeah. But you know, it's I, interesting I, because I, it's interesting, Bert, because also. Go ahead. Go ahead. Did you go ahead? You go ahead, Bert. I've seen that also in the holding area. I've seen guys. I've had I've had guys kind of, you know, get rid of lunch in the holding area, you know. And I and I can usually tell when they want to do that because they start walking and they start looking and they start walking and they start looking, and I try to stop them. Sometimes I can see a guy looking for a place to put that, okay? And, I, and there's a certain walk when, when he's looking for a place to go do that. And, 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 and I've seen it, and I've stood there, and I've held the side of the curtain over, and I'll say, right there, so I'll know where to come back and get it. And you know what? Without saying anything, the guy goes over there, he does what he has to do, and it's interesting because for people for for people that aren't familiar with this ecosystem, with the fighter ecosystem, a very primal uh, environment, I know that before my jiu-jitsu and wrestling tournaments, I always had to pee a lot. So like my sense of 
my sense of I have to piss would because because what happens as you get closer to a competition or a fight, you're much more in tuned of all of your senses. Every sense is heightened. That's part of the beauty of it. When we talk about the aliveness, the aliveness of the atmosphere, right. Right. your your sense. You have this exponential sense of everything, right? Every your your eyes work better, your ears work better. You're just primarily, yeah. you are primarily aware. So for some no. people, not, and everybody handles that different. Some of them handle it where it's like, well, damn, I got to keep pissing up until it's time to go. Some of them, I've seen the rare person. I had a guy I wrestled with in high school. After after his matches, he always had to vomit. We had a bucket waiting for him. On the end of the, you know, after his matches, he he had to vomit. The nerves were too much for him. So it is interesting how in that in that primal environment, and then Bert, I've seen him like I've seen guys back there, and you can you can speak to this, where they're kind of a nervous wreck backstage, but when it's time to walk, something switches, and then they'll go out and have a great performance. Right? They're they're a nervous wreck. You can tell us about some of those where. You can see them and they don't look ready, but then once they make that walk, something comes over them and bam, they're ready to go. They're ready to perform. You know, you get during the course of the week, you get one guy is three different people. I get the one guy that shows up fight week that has to come and face me or sit down and do paperwork and have to tell me what weight it. Okay. Then I got the second, you get a different person when it's weighing, cutting weight, and time to go do that. It's a whole different person. Then he gets up on the scale and he's done. Then you get that third person, the guy that shows up fight night for that dress. That's a whole different person than the other two people you've seen all week long. When they come into that room, that dressing room, their focus, number one, is getting in, getting to their spot, and sitting down getting their hands wrapped. That's it. Getting their spot and getting their hand wrapped. Not necessarily to warm up or, 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 or excitement about the fight or anything like that. That comes once they hear me re-rolling, then they know the fight starts. Other than that, it's just they know stuff is going on out in the hall. People are walking up and down. Commission may come in and out. You know, they're okay. I'll come in and I'll tell the guys, you know, I'll start down, I'll start down the hall. It's time to wrap. Time to wrap. And usually, if the first fight is in the cage at four, they're in the dressing room at two, two thirty at the latest. I usually first fights at four o'clock. I usually start wrapping the first five fights at three. And wrapping for the people that aren't as familiar with the fight game is to get those hands wrapped, which is a big get deal. Get your hands wrapped with tape and gauze. And the guy's hands have to be wrapped, and they usually wrap. They usually wrap the hands from the from the base top here, the knuckle, to about here up up at the wrist, and the thumb, and then the fix so that the guy has has a good you know a good grip when he puts the gloves on and doesn't break his metacarpal the bones and, and things like that. Now, Bert, time You are an encyclopedia of stories. You have more stories than we. If we spent ten hours. We couldn't tell all the good stories you have in you, but let's let's go through a few here. The scariest okay. you, you can you can choose to mention names if it's going to 
you know, if it's going to look critical, you can leave out names. So I'll leave the discretion to you to, to include the name or to not include the name. What's the scariest, what's the scariest situation you've ever encountered behind the scenes that you had to deal with? Uh, a guy's nerves, uh, anticipation of whatever getting to him that he passed out. And, and, and I kind of knew, first of all, I thought he was not feeling well, you know, uh, and I'd ask him, uh, are you okay? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know, and then I'd see him not look good. And then I asked him, does your head hurt? Did you eat the wrong food? Do you have to go to the bathroom? You know, or is it just nerve? Whatever it is, and I touch him. Whatever it is, you need to tell me. And to get a comfort level. Uh, because people are always more comfortable when you touch them. When they allow you to touch them. You can't touch everybody. Okay? When you allow them to touch them. And I had a guy once that was walking around and I could see his nerves and I could see it going and I knew he wasn't right, wasn't feeling right, but I knew he wasn't sick because regardless of a guy's culture, I could tell when a guy backstage is sick, his skin color starts to change or change or get pale, regardless of his ethnicity, you know, African-American, white, Asian, when they start getting sick, the skin color starts to change, little bumps on their arms or whatever. And I, I can tell. This guy was sweating. So I knew it wasn't sick, and I knew it wasn't something he had eaten for the eyes. You could tell. And he went into the bathroom stall, passed out. And when he passed out, he fell in to get his head. And he did that. While I was while I was in the, in the room getting ready to walk out, and I heard him, and I heard I, I saw him when he went, and I just saw the point out of the corner of my eyes. And he said, "Said you okay?" So I'm all right, man. I'm all right. I walked out. The next thing I knew, I heard him. I heard him collapsing. I walked over to the stall. There he was. He was, he was out. And when he went down. He kind of collapsed and he hit his head. So obviously the fight was the fight was called off. We had to scratch that fight. And he was the the fourth fight on the prelim. And we had already had the first two. So I immediately checked him and I had one of the guys get a cut man look at him and then I got the doctor. I had the doctor come and look at him. Uh cut man. Doctor, commission, and then Dana White. That was in that order. Okay, so I had the cut man, I had the commission, I had the doctor. The doctor looked at him and the doctor said to me, I don't know. That was enough to tell me that, that wasn't going to happen. So then I went to Dana and I had to tell Dana that that guy back there just passed out. And I didn't think it right there. Did I that? Did you attribute that to nerves? What did what did you guys attribute him passing out to? What did you think? What was your best nerves. judgment of what that was? Nerves. It was nerves. It was nerves. It was nerves. He's a he's a low. You know, it's it, it's unbelievable how how combat sports guys 
may have very even keel personality, but when it's time to train or, or, or to get in the cave, that light is switched. That personality switched. It's like, and, and this time, this person I'll name a name. You know Nick Lentz? Yep. Nick Lentz is a very quiet, low key guy. You would never know he was a mixed martial artist or a fighter. Never said a word. Ne never went to the left or the right. Personality was straight ahead. But when that bell rang, Nick Lentz was as tenacious, was as aggressive, and had such cardio that anybody you ever seen. When the fight was over, he was back to being Nick Lentz. So guys were, 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 were like that. And, and so I could tell that, you know, it wasn't that he wasn't feeling well or the food because they tell me that right away. And I ate something that I shouldn't. shouldn't did did this particular it. fighter ever fight again, Bert? Did this particular fighter ever fight again in the UFC? Yes, because here's the here's the here's the deal. When they get when they get like that, sometimes sometimes getting to the UFC at that high level usually takes over in the fighter's mental, psychological, his whole being. Just the fact that he's there. He has to get over that. And a lot of guys don't get over that until they get hit. And so the first round of a fight, then the realization they're in the UFC at that level kicks in. But for the most part, they don't, they, 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 everything's different. When they, when they arrived at the beginning, the first thing I did was put them on the scale. Because I was looking out for them. They weren't used to that happening in other promotions. Or, or, or people taking care of them that way, scale being ready, scale being right, workout rooms being there with, with their names on. And, and, and the names are on the door. You know, I, I had to listen to everything everybody said during the course of the day. You know, nothing anybody ever said was, was, you know, irrelevant. Everything anybody said was irrelevant because I not only had to make sure that they had to to weigh themselves in the workout room, I had to make sure that a guy was sitting in front of me. I just brought him from a dressing room. Take, take his weight, check his, you know, see what his weight was, if he was 10 pounds or whatever over, and then I had to get with him and let him know that he, go, he has to make weight. You know, worst thing for me is missing weight, not being on time. That's taboo for me. So I'm sitting there, I'm talking to a guy, and another guy walks in the room, and I hear him say, oh, here comes this camera. Now, I paid attention to that, because that also told me not to put those two guys in the same workout room. You know, because for some reason, just the way he said it, you know, and I, you know, sometimes I say, why'd you just say that? Or I'd ask him, you got beef with him or beef with somebody or no, nah, it's just coach, it's just trainer or whatever. And you know, that's how I made up the dressing room. Because I listened to guys. Once everybody got got in the workout room, that's how I made made out the workout. But you you, you follow your instincts. Over time you developed the instincts and you, you heard him that fighter say that and your instincts kicked in. You're like, whoa, we got we gotta separate these guys. These guys gotta be in different training rooms. 100%. 100%.
following that and then following the sport and listening to the guys. And guys talk. You know, they have a comfort level to talk to me. And they say things, you know, and guys will come in the room and they'll chuckle with each other and say something or, 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 or throw a little shade. You know, I learned that from the kids, throwing shade. They, they'll throw a little shade at another guy. But you know what? I digested that. Because I listened to it. Because the last thing that you want to do is fight night. Is to have your dress room assigned. With names on the door. I put everybody's name on the door. I put everybody's name in the room. I put everybody's name on the chair to make that person feel that they belong where they were. But the last thing you wanted was somebody to go up to a room and check on the door and see somebody on that door he didn't like. And to say, oh, I'm not going in there. And I only know that because I've had that happen once. And I said, never, ever, ever again. Yeah. And I had to talk to him. I took him aside to listen to him. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. At this point, I can't change this. But I'm going to help him. You can't sit in there. You come sit in my room until it's time for you to go. You just don't eat my food. Well, I took him, because I had a little room for the cut men with the cut boxes. I took him in my room. But from that one, never, ever did I let that happen again. Now, Bert, what is, in terms of stories, what what is the funniest thing you remember happening behind the scenes? There's all kinds of different emotions. What's something that, because you're a pretty serious guy behind the scenes, you're play, you, you got a, an intensity but a playfulness. What's the funniest thing you've seen in, in your role when you were running the UFC behind the scenes? Well, well. As a part, as being a coordinator and, and in control of these guys, as I said, I get them from the time they get there to the time they leave. They're mine. And during the course of that time, I create a workout schedule for them, a workout room. I make sure the, 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 the mats are in the room. There's water, there's towels, you know, there's, the rooms are a certain temperature. I, I, I laid that groundwork so that anything I said to them was the gospel. If I said to them, you stand there for 10 minutes because I need eight minutes to look at you, they do that. But they have to feel that that was. So, and, and, and that was the kind of relationship I had with all the fighters. But I respected them, first of all, so that I was able to get that kind of word out. So, we're at a fight, and we're standing there, and I have, if, if like I said, if the fights are for Four o'clock, I have everybody in the dressing room at two. We leave the venue at 1.30 to get there at two, you know. So I have everybody line up in line up in, in the lobby so I can call everybody's name out. And early on, before before I graduated to a bus, I would I would have my guys driving a van. So I had six 15 passenger vans. At the time they had passengers. Passenger van. I so remember. I had that. all my vans parked out in front of the hotel. Had everybody meet me in the lobby. I checked off everybody's name one at a time. Checked off the fighter and, and I counted his count, his corner to know that I had everybody. I take him outside and I say, You go sit in that van until we come. I did that. So I had the red corner and the blue corner. And I had everything situated so nobody got mixed up. But you separate. I had everybody. Yes, sir. 
Yes, sir. So I had everybody, and I said, go out, sit in that van till I, till I come back with everybody. So I came back, came out, and I, I did an eye count, and I had my guys do an eye count. We took off and went on to the venue. We got to the venue, and I'm counting everybody as they go in. Counting everybody as they go in. And I'm going to say his name. So I'm looking, and I didn't see Damian Meyer. So I said to my guys, anybody see Damian? And one of the guys said to me, I think he went in. I said, wait a minute. You tell me you think? <laughs> so that means you don't know whether you saw him go in there or not. And I know I sent him out to get into the band. So we went to the we went to the room. I went to the locker room. I went in and out of every room. No Damian Meyer. Then I started to sweat a little bit. So I said, I called everybody. I said, okay, you guys, five minutes. I want I want everybody to scatter, go every in every room, every bathroom, upstairs, every toilet, every locker room, and let's find Damian Meyer. Five minutes, everybody went, came back, nobody found anybody. I said, okay, we got a backup. So I took one guy, I, I left him in charge, Terry Wade and the other guy that left him in charge. I had one guy, I said, you know what? We're going back to the hotel to see if I can find Damian Meyer. Because sometimes, you know, shit happens. Well, that instinct was right. We went back to the hotel. When we got back to the hotel, the hotel van was sitting in the parking lot and the door was open. So I pulled up, I said, pull up to that van over there. He pulled up to the van. There was Damian Meyer sitting in the van. And his corner people. And I, I I said, what are you doing sitting in this van? He said, you told us to go sit in that van. We came out, we sat in the van like you said. Okay. He walked past our van and went to the hotel van and sat in it and saw us loading people up and just sat there, just sat there and didn't move. And we went all the way to the venue, got out of the venue, no Damian Meyer, went back to the hotel, Damian Meyer and his four corner people. And he was the, he was the co-main event, was sitting in the van. Just like did he win the fight? Did he win the fight? I think he did win that fight. I think he did. You got to go back and look at him at the co-main event. But he said to me, you told us not to move, and we didn't move. He's sitting in the van. I saw the little head in the van. I said, no. But my instinct was, you know what? He's not here. Let's go back to the hotel. We just pulled up to the hotel, and I saw the van. But my, all my vans were lined up in front of the hotel. The hotel van was on the other side of our van. Now, he walked through our van. To the hotel van, opened the door, and sat in. We loaded up and drove and drove off. Of course, I had to get one of my guys because the van, the guy that, because I also had each one of them guys assigned to a person in his van. Okay, I had it down to that kind of size. So when I got back and I told the guy, I told him, "Oh, let's come here for a minute, bro." Uh, I want you to go outside in that van and I want you to see who's out there and you tell me why I had to go back to the hotel to get it. And he went outside, he got baby in mind, he came back to the bedroom. And I left it alone because I, I had gotten him. He knew he was in trouble and everybody else knew he was in trouble. And they were laughing at it. Like, oh shit. <laughs> 
you know. So I, you know, I kind of let him go. No, it's interesting. It's interesting, Bert. It's interesting when I ask you to to tell me the funniest story. You're telling me a story that actually, at the time when it was happening, was a crisis, and then it winds up in retrospect being one of the more humorous. It's it's fascinating how that happens. At the time, your blood pressure's up. It's a crisis, and he's the co-main event. event. Co-main event. But but yeah, that 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 was probably you know that one is probably Michael Michael Bisping stealing my mat, sleeping in his room to put fighters in the sleeping room. You know, you know when the guys came, you each fighter got two rooms. First, at the beginning, they only got one room, and then as 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 the company got bigger and the expense got bigger, then the need got bigger. So they got two rooms. And and these guys, even two rooms, sometimes these guys travel with six people. You know, they put two beds in the room. And sometimes for an additional thirty dollars, they would give you a cot that you could pull out, you know, or something like that. Or if I asked, they would put one there. And if I would tell a fighter, Oh, you can get a cot for thirty dollars, that's too much money. I'm not getting thirty dollars for for a cot, you know. So I'm downstairs in the workout room where I had max. In my workout room for everybody, you know, I had a workout room for everybody to work out. But all everybody in the red corner had to work out in the same room. Everybody in the blue corner had to work out in the same room. And I had wall-to-wall mats. But they were accordion mats where you lay down in the zip. They weren't the big roll-up ones at the time. They were accordion. Yeah. So I come downstairs, down the escalator. And as I'm walking to my, I'm walking to the workout, I see my mats. Going past me with legs. Now, I know now well that mats don't have legs, okay? Somebody was on the other side of the mats holding them up, walking through the hall like nobody would see them. Take, I walked around the, the mat, and there was Michael Bisbee and two of his guys. They were taking their mats up to the room so they could lay them on the floor to sleep on them because they weren't going to spend money to get another bed in the room. And I just looked at it. I just looked at it. And I said, mm-hmm. Now, if I didn't come down here, what the hell would you have done with that map? Well, how would I have known that? Oh, that one. Is. I said, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn around like I didn't see that. But tomorrow morning, I'm going to be in this room at 7 o'clock. The map better be in there. That map at 7 o'clock. The mats had legs and walked away from me. But the next morning, they walked, they walked back. They were in the room when I got back there at 7 o'clock. And believe me. I was in there at seven o'clock that morning. Yeah, yeah. Now, Bert, what what is the um, what's the saddest thing you've ever seen behind? Well, what do you remember as the saddest thing you've ever seen behind the scenes? Uh, I just, I just got I got a chill thinking about it. Yeah, uh, I just do a blank on the guy's name. Uh, a guy broke his leg in the in 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 the in the cage, uh, and I and I'm brain farting because I don't remember his name. But he broke it. They didn't know it was broken. And they brought him back into the locker room, and when they brought him back, you know, somehow his mom, you know, got wind of it, and she was trying to get back into the back and. 
they wouldn't let her back there because she wasn't, she wasn't allowed back there. And he got up, walked to her, fell down, and broke his leg. Worse than, than it was a mystery. Pretty sad thing. His mom, she just lost. What's interesting is your role is so fascinating because you're dealing, for the most part, with alpha personalities. You're dealing with the alpha of alphas. And so it was interesting to see, you know, you're, you are, like you said, it's a very important when you're first meeting fighters and their coaches, you're dealing with alphas. You're dealing, they're very strong-willed, determined personalities. And it's very important for you when you first meet them to make an impression, which is they have to really respect you and know that, hey, there's precision. This is how it's done. I know you guys have your thing, but in order for me to do my job, in order for this this production to go off the way it's supposed to and the weigh-ins and, and fight night, et cetera, and, and you back and forth from your hotel, these are the rules. And what's interesting is you are probably one of the most respected figures there. It's interesting to see because you, you are a guy, especially a lot of fighters, if you raise your voice to most fighters instinctively, they're the kind of people that don't like anybody to raise their voice or talk at them or tell them what to do. These are personalities that really don't like that. And yet it wasn't, and I was back there to see it, it wasn't just because the UFC gave you a title and then they just bought in. They bought into it because they saw something authentic. They respected something. It wasn't just they're respecting the title. They weren't just respecting the title. They weren't just respecting the authority. They were right. respecting the man. They were respecting the personality. There was something in your energy, even though these are guys that could kick your butt, right? They know they could kick your wow. butt. But, but it never crossed their minds to kick never your butt fine. because – yeah, it never even crossed anybody's mind because they're thinking, do what Bert tells me. That's fascinating that to have that kind of respect, that they, they respect you that much. What do you think, Bert? Because I, I want you to give us a tutorial on this for people watching, trying to become a better person, trying to earn respect or be more respected. What was the secret ingredient to getting all these alphas to respect you? How did you do that? Well, you know what? Everybody, everybody usually ingratiates what they see first. And I always try to have a smile on my face and my body erect and that energy around. I always tried to make sure I did that. And I always make sure I look directly at the person as I would talk to them, not looking away from them, you know, because I know that they had to. They had to reach. I had to reach a comfort level, uh, a comfort level of that I'm going to take care of you, but I'm also in charge at the same time. So I'm going to respect you, but you're going to have to respect me. I can mess with you, but I'm not going to let anybody else mess. With you. I had to put all that into the first meeting that I did with these guys, and I I, I knew what was important to them. And, you know, as, as, as minute as it is, I knew that that to show these guys when they showed up, the first thing I was concerned about was their weight and then getting on a scale that made sense. That's the first thing I did. And when they saw that 
and they felt that right away they had a comfort level. You know, well, this guy knows and, and he really, but I've had them. I've, I've, I've been with guys, like you said, Frank, I, I've been with guys and, and the permission to come in and say something, and I've had them say, who the hell are you talking? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, bro. Come on now. That's the commission. You know, I said, come on, respect them like you respect me. You know, they're here to help us. You know, if he wants something from you, I'll let him tell me. And then we'll work it out. But you can't disrespect them like that. I've done, I've had to do that before. Not only with the commission, but other, like, 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 I've had fighters running up and down the hall, which they're not supposed to. And I've had camera people or, 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 or other people say, hey, hey. You know, and right away that fighter looks. And his first thing is like, who are you talking to? And that's his first thing is to go at them. So you gotta make you I always made sure people knew that I knew their, their hardship, I knew their need, and I respected them more than anything else. But you gotta respect me. Because that's the only way that it works. Respect me, respect me first. And I'll make sure I'm the last one out there, baby. You know, so I did. I I, I did that because yeah, they 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 were. They all had temperaments and personality, and they were fighting, and they knew they were fighting. And with anybody else around them, they never they never hesitated to let somebody else know that they were fighting or each other, for that matter. So I had to balance more than anything. The, the, the sense of, of that I understood and I cared more than anything. I was not going to let anything get in the way of what they had to do to get into that cage or the boxing ring. So you, you had a you had a protector role as well. You cared about them. You, you, you understood them. You felt like kind of a protector, like you're protecting them from you know, you're protecting them from anything going wrong in terms of what they need to do, what they're going to do. But what's interesting is um, your uh, um, your fear. You're, you had a fearlessness about you. I mean, there's a, there's the old saying that a shark can smell fear a mile away, right? Coming from Philly, too. And I'm imagining you yeah. came from some Philly where there's some rough dudes. So you were never yeah. afraid of a fighter, though, I'm, I'm assuming. I mean, were you ever afraid no. of them? And is that no. important? Is that is that important in the process of respect and doing what you do? Was that very important? important? Very important because when you fear something, you're skeptical. You're 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 apprehensive. You know, you approach it a little differently. But when you have no fear, you approach it like you have to control it or protect yourself. You know, and I I I you know, and and my my background my brain coming from Philly, you know, I've, I've been in a few scraps over over my lifetime. I spent three years in the Marine Corps during the Vietnam, Vietnam era, uh, you know, so I've always had, I've always been in pretty tough situations. So I knew what it, what it was. And, and you know, I grew up in the, in the era, and, and I'm going to go a little to the left one. I grew up in the era of segregation and a lot of things going on in this country that a lot of people didn't understand, couldn't understand. So I learned to respect a lot of people. 
and not to take a lot of things for granted. And I, I, I knew how I always wanted to be treated, how I always wanted to be respected. So I, that's the way I worked with fighters. You know, I always had a sense in my head they always wanted to be respected and always wanted to be, be treated that way. And, and you have to understand that. You know, it's like, like the Diaz brothers. You know, it, it, a lot of people always had a hard time with them. You know, there were times when, 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 when it was time for a press conference or time for this or time for that. And I get a phone call from a media. Oh, man, we have the hardest time. We can't get him and we can't get them. You know, and I'm like, uh, well, you know what? It's, it's, it's the approach. You know, uh, I'd say that to myself, but I've had them call me and say, uh, Mr. Burke, uh, we, we, you know, we supposed to have, you know, and I'm not talking bad about the Diaz brothers. I'm just using them as a reference that people just didn't take time to understand and listen. People always thought, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a hard time. So I'm going to give a hard time. I'm going to go at these guys. Like I know that I'm going to get trouble. For them. And that, that was, that was totally the wrong approach. Just respect them. Respect what you know they needed, and you gave it to them. So I'd have the, the media call me, oh, man, such and such is supposed to be here at 3.30. It's now quarter to four, and they ain't here yet. And, and, and could you help us, or could you? Well, I'd say to them, you know what? That's not a marker I want to call in. Can't help you with that. And this was the media or somebody. So I tell them, that's not a marker I want to call in. So I'd hang up. They didn't question me. I'd hang up. I'd pick that phone back up and I'd call that person. And I'd say, yo, Frank, they're calling me, man, because they're looking for you. I don't want them to call me again, okay? So that person said, okay, Mr. Burke. Click. He went on to his interview. You know? But but I wasn't calling that marker in. I wasn't going to do that. But I called him and I said to him, look, man, they just called me. They're looking for you. And they're going to call me again. I don't need them calling me no more. But you go on, you know. But it's just, you got to know that. You got to understand that. You got to respect that. Not think that just because they're there, you're in charge. They got to listen to it. That doesn't work. What's interesting as I, I mean, because you had a fascinating role and a, and a great run with the UFC. And the fearlessness or the bravery it seems like that is a key component of being respected. Let's let's uh, let's rewind that a little bit. Where's were you just always that way coming out of Philly, where and then being in the Marine Corps, or were there life events that made you confront fear and then decide, hey, I'm going to be brave. I'm not going to I'm not going to limp among lions. I'm not showing that fear. Was that just you were kind of always built that way, or were there events that? That you know, where maybe you were insecure, but then you worked through it. Can you can you take me through that, Bert? Where does that come from? What is that rooted in? Because that's key. That's been key to your success. You just hit on it, and I'll tell you, hundred percent came from my mother. My mother was a person believed that fear was like a sleeping dog. She said, "Never ever ever." Go to sleep. But then you can't watch the house. Now I never knew what that meant. But 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 that's the way she she she, she gave it to us. Never ever fear 
anything or let anybody see that you're afraid of it because then they'll disrespect and i always i i at the beginning i didn't understand that but as we went along and she always believed there's never such there's, there's no such thing as the word no or i can't i never understood that but i listened to it but i knew never to go if my mother came to me and said uh, did you do something? I know I couldn't say no. I had to think of another word to use because I already knew she said there's no such thing as no. Or did you do something? I couldn't say it. Well, I can't. So I always knew there's no such thing as no or I can't. So I always believed in that and I always had that mindset my entire life. And that that my mother instilled that and there I have I have six brothers and one sister. My mother still that every one of them, every one of my siblings was basically, that's where that came That came from my mom. Been there. Yeah, what's, it, what's interesting, Bert, is that when I look around at the world today, right, with all the technology and all the cell phones, and you see a lot of lost people, suicides are up, a lot of people are depressed, a lot of people have an identity crisis, right, especially in 2020. So there's a lot of that. A lot of people are confused about, well, who am I? What's my purpose? What's my meaning? What's my why? You seem like, I mean, when I when I think of the Burt Watson, I know this is a guy with a very firm sense of, of who I am. And it seems like you've had that from a long time. Does that just go back to mom? When Take us through the moment where you know, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is my code. This is what I'm about. Where because you seem to have a very strong sense of self. Take us through that sense of self. Maybe it comes from mom, other life events, because that that seems again to be part of the secret recipe for you too, is you're not, you're not, you're not a guy that's confused about who he is, what his purpose is, what his code is, what he's about. You're very, you're very consistent about that. Tell me about your identity and how did you come upon this is who I am, this is what I'm about, this is my code. Well, it's it's easy. To identify when you see that it works. It's very easy. And and it worked throughout life for me. You know, when I got out of high school, I went to school in, in Scottsbluff, Nebraska, where where there was there was nobody out there that looked like me. Okay. Period. Not even not even in a magazine I could pick up. But but you know, I took the sets that I learned from home. You know, there's no such thing as no, no such thing as I can. So you need to be able to do everything or anything and withstand anything. And anything that you didn't understand, don't go around it. You digest it and you think about it. You digest it, you think about it, then you then you, you learn to understand it. So I've always had that, you know, that tenacity or that feeling, you know, I I would always wanted to be a professional athlete and the only thing i was really good at was running track i was very i was very fast back in 66 67 now i'm telling you how old i am i was running 100 back then about 10 4 you know and that was pretty good that was pretty good i was always good at, at athletics but i was i'm not a big guy so imagine when I was a teenager, I was all of five, seven, maybe 120 pounds, if that. When I went to the Marine Corps, I was just tall enough 
and I was 121 pounds, and if you were 119 pounds or less, you couldn't get in the Marine Corps. So I was, I weighed just enough to get into the Marine Corps. Man, you couldn't tell me nothing when I got into the Marine Corps. That was, you know, and when I got there, you know, it was, it was probably, I, I, would think, I would say that that was probably the most educational, aside from what I got from my mother, was my time in the Marine Corps. Because that transition in life, there was one code and one color in the Marine Corps. And it was be brave, stay green. That's all it was. And, that's, and, and I'm talking about, you know, in 1969, you know, or, or you know, when, 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 Things were at height of itself, maybe coming down in Vietnam, but but that's all I, that's all I knew, and I learned I learned then, you know, the transition from because at home my mom you never got out you never left your room until you made up your bed, you never left food on your plate, you never left the kitchen unless the dishes were done, you never wore your clothes dirty you always washed them in the tub right after you took a bath. Okay, and and going into Marine Corps, I transitioned into that. You know, so that I was, I was that regimentation that became a part of me. That became everything that I did, everything that I thought, everything that I I, I, I thought about. But at the same time, I learned that the guy in that foxhole with me, you took care of him because if thing got tough, that's the guy you need. So I never disregarded anybody. So you never know when you need, especially over there. You know, it, 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 all you ever did, you made somebody mad, you were done for. So I learned that in the Marine Corps. By the time I got out of the Marine Corps, I was a made person. I was done. I was regimented. I was structured into doing things a certain way, not being able not to do things. But, you know, the only thing, only thing I didn't, I didn't do is become a gazillionaire. You know, that's the only regret I have in life. Okay, that I didn't become Bill Gates. But other than that, you know, <laughs> every, everything else, man, is it, it, it just it worked. You know, and when you found out that it worked, you just kept doing it, consistent, consistent. And if you kept doing it, there was never a time that it didn't work. You know, it's it, it, one of the things about when I started with Joe Frazier, Joe never told me what to do. You know, but he always expected me to get it done. When I started working with Don King, Lou Duba, and Bob Arum, and, and boxing, because boxing was before MMA. Somehow when they hired me, they never told me what to do. But they knew it was going to get done. And and I saw that that worked. And I liked that. So I kept it that way. And the same thing, when I transitioned and someone introduced me to Dana White, I worked for him. Dana, I can never remember a time that Dana told me what to do. But I also know he expected the absolute best. Nothing better. So I gave him the best. It's interesting, Bert, because when you talk about your mom and the and the strong hand and the firm hand she had, and then the transition to the Marine Corps, 
you're, I can almost connect the dots to see this guy, this young man who's later in life perfectly prepared, who's had this preparation to make the trains run on time in boxing, UFC, MMA. You're this, this regimented, super organized, know what needs to be done, get it done at all costs. And when I say all costs, people who were not behind the scenes, this was, I mean, you and your team, a lot of times there were two hours of sleep, three hours of sleep, four hours of sleep. People don't know to no make hours. the trains run on yeah, to make the trains run on time is not just a hey, we're organized, this is what you do. No, 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 no. There's a lot of there's constantly fires to put out, there's constantly things that go wrong. There's a ton of sleep deprived people doing a great job on very little sleep the week of those events. I mean, it is it is very tough on the body. Very tough on and the body. You had, and you had to get you had to get that done. And then you had you had television, the production aspect of it, they always did a format meeting. And everything was I would read a format sheet which was like seven pages and everything was zero 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 point two four. Now I knew that meant twenty four minutes. I mean, but you had to know military to know what what they, you know, because they told the same thing. But it was a precise, precise, the schedule was precise. The time that every guy was expected to be in that boxing ring or in that cage was on that format schedule. So yeah. I used to take that format schedule and memorize it by name. Not the schedule, just like I remember Frank or Noah. I would look at it, it's Noah, right? I, I don't I don't forget stuff like that. I got but myself muted were, over here. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I would you I were, would look at it and memorize it. Yeah. You were you were perfectly prepared to be Mr. Precision, like Mr. Boom. Yes, you sir. were perfectly prepared. Now, let's go into something because you said you were you were a Philly kid, then you moved to Nebraska, then you're in the Marine Corps, and you're in an era, by the way, going back to the fifties, the sixties. You're in the Jim Crow era. You're in the era where people are drinking from different different water fountains, different colors, drinking from different water fountains. People not, not you know, black people not allowed into restaurants, different restrooms. People don't want their daughter to date anybody of color. I went so through all of that. Very, yeah. And and what's interesting is knowing you, I don't see a bone in your body that that you know that 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 is worried about you know you've dealt with people from all over the world when you work for UFC you're dealing with every nationality and I don't see a bone in your body and I don't think anyone else does either that's part of the respect that that you that you generated but take me through that because a lot of people especially now I mean there's a lot going on with racial consciousness and and we're at an interesting time right now Bert with that where we're you know we've got we've got you know under the microscope, black people being killed by, by law enforcement. There's uproar. There's, you know, social injustice is, is in everyone's consciousness. Tell me, just you, without being political, tell me, what was your remedy for that? How did you, how did you make peace with that? How did you learn to love all people and accept all people? How did you rise above that? Because you were at a time where it was probably, it was probably a lot worse than, than even it is now. I mean, you were, you were at a time where it was... I can I can't even imagine it. How did how did you how did you make peace with that and rise above that? Well, first of all, you have to you, you have to know that you need to and learn to understand. You have to understand and know that there's a need to understand it because if you don't understand. 
standard, you can't solve or you can't dissect or you can't make it happen. So you got you got to learn to understand it because there are times when you have to put yourself in the place of someone else or think for someone else or or you know like somebody will say you got to walk in my shoes or you got to walk and and that is so true so true because I I mean I I grew up in an, I grew up in an era where, where where there were names on on things that you could touch or you couldn't touch there was a time that I walked into a store and I couldn't stop. I couldn't go to a go to the to the counter and pull something off of it. I had to point at what I want and got it and pay for it. But I learned to understand why that was. And that was because it was the way it was at that time. And as life went on, it progressed. It got a little different, and it got a little better. Uh, I didn't fight it. I didn't didn't try to fight it. I tried to always tried to understand it, and that's the way I work. when I work behind the scenes, backstage with everybody, because everybody that came to me were different. Every single person that came in front of me was different. Whether he was black, white, Brazilian, Japanese, Asian, whatever, he was from Colombia, Peru, whatever he, everybody was different. Even though at the end of the night they all were the same because they all did the same thing and had the same goal, they were all different. But I had to, I had to learn how to understand that, and I had to stop and listen to it. So I learned to listen real early in life. I learned to listen real well. And not just, you don't, there's a difference between hearing something and listening to it. When you hear it, you just hear it. You listen to it, you understand. You gotta learn to understand it. And I understood the fighter. I understood the hardship. I went to the gym. I visited gyms. And I saw how guys worked out the regiment that they went through and how tough it was and how nasty them were and how bad they smelled. You know, just, you know, the hardships of it. But I learned to understand that because when they came to me, I understood where they had been. I understood what they had done to get there. And I also was at a point where I wasn't always with the UFC. I wasn't always working with Don King. I'll tell you a little story. I had a guy, a fighter. I worked with a fighter. What got me into being a coordinator and working so closely with the guy at center as I do now, I did a fight for Don King, I'll say that, back in the day, and that was a big promotion. And there was a guy on there that fought a four-round fight. Now, at the time, you got between fifty to a hundred dollars a round if you got that. So, if you fought a four-round fight, you might have gotten four hundred dollars, or you might have gotten three hundred dollars. It depends. And I'm talking about sometimes that four-round fight, you fight four rounds. That was an ass kick. 
And this guy, he came in from someplace in California. I forgot where he came, but it took him hell because as a fighter, he probably took a bus from where he lived to the hotel and it probably took him a day and a half back in the day. You know, and I'm talking about in the, the, the 80s or so. So this guy fought a fight. Four rounds. He got $400. He had to go get medical before he came. You got to get medical. You got to get your eye test. You had to do blood work. And you had to get an EKG and an EEG. Those were the things, the four things that you had to get before you fought. He got his medical. His medical was $280. The kid made $400 and they took $280 out of that $400 and made him pay for his own medical. That guy came to me with $120 and couldn't get home. I was, I was, I was stunned. But I knew that that's how they did that. But it didn't click in my head that they did the same thing for a four-round fighter that was only getting four hundred dollars. So I went in my pocket. I had a hundred and twenty dollars in my pocket, which was probably my last hundred twenty, and I gave him a hundred. But I said to myself then, Frank, I said I will never ever. Let anybody mistreat another fighter. From that point, that I became a coordinator, and I started working and listening, and and becoming involved with these guys. But that kid, and that kid fought four rounds and got his ass whooped, and he went to get his paycheck, and it was a hundred twenty dollars. Then, not only was his paycheck, it was a hundred twenty dollars. It was a check. Okay. That the hotel wasn't cashing. So, so it was like, where the hell was he going to cash? He couldn't get home. And I said, whoa. But you know what? The promoter was right and within his right. But he was wrong because it didn't make sense. But it didn't have to make sense for him. All he had to do was get that guy to fight. So I said, that's it. I will never let this happen to another fighter. That point, from that point on, it was all about the fighters. All about the fighters. Because I knew how the promoters worked. I knew how they made their money. It was all about fighters. Yeah, a, a lot, a lot, Bert, has been said about the UFC and Zufa and Dana White. And people have said this and that. But I always said one of the sayings was, but with Zufa, the check always clears. Like, you can say what you want, but the check always clears. Always clears. And in, in the fight game, the check don't always clear. You, you may sign for X amount of money. That don't mean until you actually get that money, that don't mean you're actually getting that money. That's well, welcome to the fight game, right? Mm -hmm. I always said to somebody, if you didn't see somebody sign that check, that check might not clear. I always said that to the fighters. I said, where did you get that check? Oh, uh, somebody gave it to me in an envelope. Uh, don't bring it to me, okay? Because no, it didn't. It didn't always clear. And 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 one thing about Zufa, the check always cleared, you know. But you know what? Nobody's ever going to make enough money. I've had I've had fighters. My first fight that I ever had or took part in 
the March 8, 1971. That tells you how old I am, bro. And and that was that was that was Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali. Oh. Okay, March 8, 1971, Madison Square Garden. Oh, you, 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 you jumped out the gate. You jumped out with the gate with the Super Bowl. You just, you yeah, just started but, with but, the Super but Bowl. I'm saying that, that's the first fight I ever went to. I didn't work that fight, but okay. I, was, okay. I, I knew Joe uh, uh, kind of randomly, and that's how that whole thing started with me and Joe Frazier and the relationship and we lost contact, and I ran into him again about eight years or nine years later, and never left him. But 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 back then, go ahead. You know, no, Bert, I wanted I wanted I wanted to stay on the 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 race thing for right for for one second. Go, going okay. back to that, because I wanted to see what would your advice be. We have you know we do we we're an interesting time where. You know, there is a lot of division in the country right now. There, t t you yes. know, tensions are high. What What would you prescribe if you if you were one of the leading voices? You have an excellent perspective. What would you prescribe for there to be a unity, a, a, an understanding of people, so that we could come together as Americans? What do you, What do you think? What's the perspective, or what's the What's the prescription, just from your vantage point, that you think this is what the country needs right now to unify and come together? What does it need? And you said you said it. First of all, you got to listen. Not just hear, because when you hear, it just goes out. When you listen, you digest it. Then you try to understand it. You got to listen, and then you got to digest it. Then it allows you to try to understand it. And I see a lot of understanding going on because everybody's having the same discussion. Everybody knows that there's a lot of social injustice, social unrest going on in our country now. But before, nobody really knew that. Nobody understood it. Everybody always thought that it was either this person or that person just complaining about something happening to them or something happening to them because they are of a certain ethnicity or something happened to them because they live in the hood, you know, or, or, or something happened to them because they're Asian, you know, and all of that's happening now. But people are listening more and the more you listen and you digest it and you try to understand it and you become a little more sensitive to it. You know, it's, it's I see it happening now and I can go back to, like I said, a time when I walked into a, a store and was not allowed to touch the shelves or touch the merchandise. See what I'm doing now? That's what I had to do. I couldn't do, I couldn't just walk over. You know, right now, we take it for granted walking into a 7 Eleven and picking up a bag of potato chips and going to the counter and paying for it. <laughs> you know, when I first did that, how shocked I was that I can go pick something up and pay for it. But you got to listen and you got to understand. You listen in this order. You listen, you digest it, and then you understand. And that is happening in our culture. And it's happening with younger people like you guys because when I see 
the, the social unrest and I see the people protesting, I don't see any of them look like me in a, in terms of age. Some of them, the majority of them look like you guys, but young guys, and you know, they're guys between 18 and maybe 40 years old. That, 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 that shows that the younger generation is listening and digesting and trying to understand. I think everybody today is doing a better job of trying to understand it because we hear it. Are we ever going to solve it? I am 71 years old, bro. And it's still unsolved. And I, I think it'll, it'll, it'll go on to a point. But have things changed? Hell yeah. They have. Have with generations, with, with generations come change. With generations come expectations, you know, and with generations come qualifications. So as things go along in the generations, there's more expectation, you know, there's more qualification, and 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 and, and the understanding is a little bit. I've seen it change a lot and get a lot better. But at the same time, I've seen it become stagnant and 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 look look like it reversed itself to a point where where people don't understand. But that's because you know, with the invention of, of what we're doing now, you know, sitting here and we're talking, we got three people on the screen, we're doing on the computer and stuff like that. That that none of that stuff was there to make everything visual. And, and, and expose everything to everybody, for everybody to listen, digest it, and then try to understand. Hey, Frank, I, I need yeah. to get in. I need to get here because we're inside ten minutes. Hold on, um, hold on, hold on, hold on one second. Hold on, hold on. I, I want to. So, so Bert, when I hear you, um, when I hear you, what's interesting is some of the things that you think are the funniest. That some of the things that, that you laugh about are the things that were the hardest, like the, or you know the the, the the Damian Maya thing, and even yeah. talking about the the you know you couldn't touch anything in the store. It's interesting to see your sense of humor, like making light of things that at the time were very trying. I want to since we're since we're crunched for time, and I want Noah to get a question or two in. The one thing I want to ask you before I turn it over to Noah for for a, a, a question or two is but maybe two things, and then we'll turn it over to Noah. Number one, let's do a little word association. Let's keep the answers a little bit short, but you, we're going to do word association. We're going to we're going to mention some fighter names, and you're going to give me a sentence or two or three that stands out uh, about okay. these fighters, okay, or these figures, okay. okay. So we're just doing a little word association with a name. I'll make it quick. Give me okay. one, two, or three sentences that first thing come to mind. Okay, okay here we go. We're we're getting ready to go. Muhammad Ali. Great. Joe Frazier. Joe was the best person I've ever met in my life. He was a real person. He was for real. He gave me a chance. He gave me a shot when nobody in the world would think of putting me in as their manager. Or or or, or just just befriending turning things over to me. Dana White. Dana White is innovative. Uh, 
I don't know how patient he is, you know, but with success and the type of success he's had and with the speed he's had it, he's had to adjust his personality to coincide with the amount of success that he had and the way it came. So they came to him very quickly, very harsh. And when success comes to you like that, it makes you a very harsh person. Jim Brown. Man. The, under, the, the, the educator. He's the OG of chatter. Don King. Ruthless. Sugar Ray Leonard. Sugar Ray Leonard. Sugar Ray Leonard was very, and, and, and still is, he's, he's, he's compassionate and he understands. And probably a better talent than we gave him credit for. We gave him credit for him being a, a media person. You know, what they put out in the media, but in terms of his boxing skills, him and Roberto Duran, were two that, that 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 were totally underrated in terms of their skill level. And I know Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was unbelievable. Mike Tyson put fear in fear without fearing it himself. He walked through everybody that they put in front of him without even without even knowing. He didn't even think that person was in front of him. He just went out there and just take him out. And it worked. Julio Cesar Chavez. He was very soft. Very soft spoken. And he was a family man. He respected his parents and his family. And I think I see that now. He's got a son or two fighting. So I can see he's still the same person that I knew then. Monterey, Mexico, I met his family. He was very much family. I mean, his mom, dad, that kind of thing. Who's the greatest UFC fighter, the, uh, the greatest MMA fighter, you, in your opinion? If you get your vote, who's the best and why? George St. Pierre. Because number one was consistency there with the skill level. He was also a, a good person outside of, of the octagon in the cave. And now, and I'm also talking about someone that's finished because I, 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 I totally respect the skill level of John Jones. Uh, I mean, I, I think John Jones was, was un unbelievable, still is unbelievable. But, you know, I, I'd have to put George St. Pierre in Now, I have, to, I have to turn it over to Noah, my, my, my esteemed colleague and my good friend. But we are not, we got to make sure this, Noah, we are not letting Bert go until I get a couple of yeah babies out of him on some stuff. So we can do that at the end, but yeah, I just want to make it known. Okay. We are not wasting. We got the great Burt Watson here, one of a kind voice. We are not forgetting that we're going to have a little battle cry from him. But but Noah, you've been waiting patiently. I'm so sorry to, to okay. not 
turn the stage over to you a little bit. You got a couple hey, questions. I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying this, baby. Trust me. I'm, I'm I know enjoying it. you guys, man. You know, I'm enjoying I, I, you. I haven't seen you in a while. I enjoy you. Noah got to me. And you know what? I sent him a text and he got back to me. That's good enough for me, baby. <laughs> well, thank you, Bert, for coming on to the uh, podcast today. Um, yes, I, uh, well, one from one Marine to another, we're all green. Semper Fi, baby. That's right. I said that, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Camp of Doom, Paris Island. Yeah, baby. Hollywood. I'm a Hollywood Marine, so. Uh, okay. Yeah. You're still green to me, baby. That's right. You are, too. Um, you know, uh, George uh, uh, Santayana, who's a philosopher, said, I'm going to read it because I don't want to mess the quote up, but you know this quote. Those who do not remember their past are condemned to repeat it. And, you know, I, I'm going to lead into my second question, but um, what can you give us as a distilled, condensed knowledge? Drop a, drop a little nugget of knowledge on me. What do you see in, in terms of the sport? You know from the past, you know, you've seen it in boxing, and you see that repeat again, and what should we learn from? I, 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 I think and I see that these sports itself. So, uh, I always thought it had legs, and I always knew that it was good things were going to happen because it, I always thought it would run right, but I had no idea that it was going to expand the way that it did. Way that it has. And it has expanded on a global level. And the level of competition that these guys are putting out there, the skill level. I remember when guys used to come into combat sports or MMA fighting like this, okay? Now they're down here. Okay? And I've seen that progression, man. And it, it, it's enlightened. And I'm so proud of, of the, the, the technical skill level that these guys are. They're standing in now. And stand-up is really standing-up. Ground game is really a ground game. Pound game is really a pound game. Now I think they need to get paid. Okay. That's it. Uh, okay. Last question for me and for probably for the program. Um, in my work up to uh, sit in front of you today, I, had, I need to do my homework, and I listened to an audio autobiography of Mr. Fraser, and um, he just seemed like an amazing person. Um, and his character, whenever he saw in his commentary that he made against uh, the great, the greatest Muhammad Ali, in the claims of being a you know the people, the man of people, and the and the shenanigans that went on. Do you have any, do you have any reflections at this point since you're still in the game yourself? You have any reflections upon those two uh, and, and that relationship? Well, you know what? It, 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 it was one of those things where, where Muhammad Ali was very good. At, every now and then the media picks a person that they want to be that person. You know, they grabbed Muhammad Ali, they grabbed Mike Tyson, they grabbed Sugar Ray Leonard, they grabbed Mayweather. You know, they pick and choose who they want, but then sometimes they get it right. 
they got it right with Muhammad Ali when they grabbed him and they put him in that box because he did it. He, he, he verbalized everything that they thought they would get. But then at the same time, you had Joe Frazier over here who was just as talented, worked just as hard, and even maybe a little more so, you know, because he didn't have that, 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 that look that Muhammad had. And and it didn't it, it, it didn't make sense to them. But Joe understood it only the way he knew how. And everybody offense to that thought that Joe was being offensive. But he wasn't being offensive. He was explaining it the way he understood it and he was expressing it the way he wanted to because Muhammad Ali expressed it the way he wanted to and nobody said anything to him. So I always had to understand that and you know, it was a little difficult at the time when I had to deal with both of them at the same time. But, you know, I understood where they both came from. I understood. Now I see it more. Everybody's trying to chatter their way through sport and, you know, and be a Muhammad Ali or Sugar Ray or you got Conor McGregor now that, 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 you know, he's a media person. But, you know what? That happens ever so often. When it does, enjoy it and appreciate it. So when it's gone, it's gone. Bro. Well, thank you, thank you. I, um, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed learning about him. Um, I grew up in Texas in the South, so uh, uh, he talked about crab stew. Wow! wow. And, I, and I, my last little thing is, did you get to try any of that crab stew that he loved so much? I got to try the the, the, the stuff that he made. Uh, he which was nasty. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't cook. Yeah, yeah, no, he was. You know, you know who else was 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 and you from Texas, George Foreman. Uh, <laughs> he was a guy that loved, that loved that 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 craft too. That loved this too. I worked with George for a minute as well. I I, I would love to talk to George Foreman. Uh, he's he's uh, someone special. Thank you so much, uh, Frank. I'll let you. Yeah, uh, I want to. Yeah, back so, to you. First of all, Bert, thank you. You know, Noah and I, you're always welcome back on. We'd love to have you on again. We don't want this not a one-time deal. Any, so we, anytime, I, I, think, man. I think that there's there's like I said, you're an encyclopedia. So it, it we we can't begin to scratch the surface of of, of that knowledge um, and those stories. The other thing, though, again, I cannot let you go. For me, can you give me? Well, we're going to do two of them. Can you give me? One with Frank Forza, you know, Frank Forza, we rolling, baby. Can you give me one of the best Burt Watsons? If I was going to do the walkout, you can give them the little name, Frank Forza, we rolling, baby. And then, and the, can you give me one of those, Burt, please? One, one, one. Yo, Frank! It's almost time to roll, baby. I hope you got it right. Because it's your night. Yo, Frank! You need to go get it right, baby. Because it's almost time to go to work. And you know what they say when it's time to go to work? We rollin', yeah, all night long. <laughs> go get it done, son. Boom. Hey, but two. That is awesome. Him and you. Yeah. I tell you, man, it gives me gives me chills every time, Bert. Uh, I, you know what? I can honestly tell you, I get psyched up too, but right now I'm checking. Because I'm ready to roll, baby. But like I said, it ain't but two, him <laughs> and you. 
I appreciate it, man. Well, I, I always say they they only made one. Burt Watson is is inimitable. There, there's no there's no confusion. You know, they they there's a lot of things out there that are imitation, regurgitation. You are hard to duplicate. It's it, it, inimitable. That's one of the best things I can say. They they only made uh, they only made one Burt Watson, man. They didn't. Right there's never going to be another. So I, I never going to be another. I appreciate this time. I really, man, it's been it's been a pleasure. Uh, and uh, if I could all, if I could say one before I leave, you know, right now I'm 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 doing my own. I'm stealing your thunder here. I'm doing my own little podcast that I do. Uh, once a month on MMA Junkie. It's called Legends to Legends. My next one is coming up. Uh, and uh, I'm probably, I'm going to give you a little sneak preview because I'm going to probably be sitting at the grand page. But I just did one with, with Randy Couture, and the one before that uh, was, uh, oh, I forgot him first. But I've done Randy and George, but it's called Legends to Legends. And it's where I sit down and I talk to guys. Uh, like OG Chatter. And I got that from Vitor Belt. He was the one that said to me, I called him on yesterday. Hey, I'm going on Instagram Live. Would you talk to me? He said, man, I'd be glad to talk to you. It'll be one legend to another. Legend to legend. And that little bell went off. So now you can check me out on MMA Junkie. Legend to legend with Bertha Watson, baby. Oh, all right. Yeah, you are. You know, they. I, I don't really use that word OG a lot, but that that is definitely um, you're definitely the personification of OG. So th there's no doubt about that. Certified, as my brother always says, certified. Bert, Bert Watson, BW, certified, hundred percent. And anytime, well, we'll, you guys just we'll, have, me, baby. We'll have to get you on again soon, Bert. I appreciate. It. And you know what's beautiful? Because every once in a while, probably my fault. We run a couple minutes behind, but when Burt Watson's the guest, it's a reminder the trains today had to run on time. We were on time. You know today. what? I swear to you, just when I was getting ready to, to call Noah, I wasn't going to text him. I was going to call him. He said that. He said that that, that link through. I said, "Ah, oh, there's my man on time." You know what? That says a lot about a person. I tell you, you can give him another job. Appreciate you, baby. Hey, you. you take care. God bless you, Bert Watson. Okay. We'll be in touch. Anytime. So Have me back. Grace and us. Absolutely. Peace. Legends to legends. MMA junkie. <laughs> awesome. See you, bud. <sighs> That's it for today's episode of Everyman BJJ. Thanks for listening. Look for new episodes of Everyman BJJ every week, wherever you get your podcast or at everymanbjj.com.